humans. Welcome to the second episode of Weird Humanity, High Five, Handshake, or How About Not? Each week we take a deeper look into some part of the human condition that baffles me and probably many of you, and we learn the whys behind some of our behaviors, our desires, our strange traditions. Um, For episode two, I chose something a little lighter and a little fluffier than episode one, Humans and Horoscopes. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Um, And yes, I am releasing episode two a week early. I wanted to give you guys a little bigger taste of what it is I'm trying to do here. Um, So by releasing episodes one and two, I hope you get a um, a better a better understanding of 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 what this podcast is all about. From here on out, it'll be one new episode every Wednesday, and a good way to remember that is Weird Humanity Wednesdays. I've always wondered why, as a species, we just collectively agree on certain hand gestures and their respective meanings, and I wanted to know the origins of some of my favorites. And honestly, by favorites, I mean the first four I researched. I can only choose four for this episode because... This is only a 30-minute podcast, and I wanted to make sure I gave each gesture the research it deserved. The origins of some of these are really actually kind of incredible. But I do suspect this will be an ongoing series because the sheer number of hand gestures and their meanings across cultures is so much bigger than I could have thought, and I'd love to tackle more in the future. So let's kick this off with the hand gesture that scrambles my brain more than any other, the handshake. The next time your boss, your friendly neighbor, or some random guy in the street extends their hand to yours, you're probably going to have second thoughts after listening to this episode. Also, if some random man on the street is approaching you with his hand extended, take out your bear spray and fire away. We are not here for aggressive strangers, not in the year of our Lord 2023. Anyway, my interest in learning more about handshakes actually started with COVID. (sighs) You remember early 2020 when all of a sudden grown-ass adults had to be reminded to wash their GD hands. For some reason that is still inexplicable to me, We had to explain to the general population that germs and viruses can and often will spread through touch. Like, duh. Picture it. You have shit on your hands, literal or otherwise. And then you go and shake your butcher's hand during your weekly bacon pilgrimage. He wears gloves while handling the meat, sure. But not when he's handling your gross money touching dirty door handles, or even handling his own meat. Just think of all these self-absorbed ignoramuses not washing their hands after using a public toilet, and then they're rifling through all their crumpled $1 bills left over from a slow night at bosoms, and they're spreading that dirty cash all over your favorite shops and restaurants, including the aforementioned butcher. It honestly makes me shiver with disgust. Also, Google how gross is money and prepare for some gag-inducing statistics. It's really gross. So, 
COVID hit and many of us stopped shaking hands, which was a small but arguably effective step towards slowing the spread. And I, for one, was ecstatic. I had come to the realization that shaking hands as a greeting is actually really kind of freaking weird. Think about it. Hello, fellow human. My name is Ron. Hello to you, fellow human. My name is Zach. Let us wrap our hands in a mildly intimate embrace and move our forearms up and down until one of us gives up. Huzzah! Yup, this episode also contains dramatic skits. You're welcome. Now, during COVID, the suggested alternative to shaking hands was also really flippin' weird. The awkward elbow bump. Hard pass on that nonsense. We should just take things back to medieval times when the bow and the curtsy were the greeting of peasants and kings alike. I think, I, I honestly haven't done that research. But imagine how awesome it would be in the year 2023 that we brought back bowing and curtsying to one another. Hi, are you Greg from Tinder? And she curtsies. Yeah, totally. You must be Trish. And standing there in his oversized skate shoes and try-hard sideways hat, Greg bows to his Tinderella. But back to the topic at hand. Guys, shaking hands is weird. And don't even try to give me some sort of lecture about shaking hands being a sign of respect and it would be rude to not shake someone's outstretched hand. No. It is rude to put me in a situation where I'm essentially forced by societal expectations to endure either a limp cat paw handshake or an Andre the Giant grip so hard it turns my hand white. No, thank you. Now, despite my seemingly overdramatic distaste for the shaking of the hands, the history behind the greeting is actually really interesting. I love historical origin stories of mundane, everyday things. Thus, this is why I made this podcast. The handshake is thought to be at least 3,000 years old. And as one can hypothesize, was a show of peace, trust, and loyalty. An extended arm with open palm indicates you have no weapons and therefore are not a threat. One cannot simply hold a sword and shake a hand simultaneously, I guess, which obviously isn't true, but I think it's more of the thought that counts. Early literary manuscripts have characters extending their hands to signify their loyalty and trust, such as between characters in Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey, which is believed to have been written in the 7th or 8th century BCE. I happen to have a leather-bound gold leaf edition of Homer's epic poems in my own personal collection, and I will try to drop that in conversation wherever I can. Hashtag humblebrag. Prior to the 6th century BCE, most storytelling was passed on through word of mouth. And as we know, as a game of telephone goes, things can get murky from mouth to mouth. The written word was a privilege given to the wealthy and the royals only. So it's tough to say exactly when the handshake came to be. It can be assumed that if Homer had written about the mundane gesture 700 years before the Common Era, the handshake had already been established and accepted as a greeting. 
As far as history tells us, the handshake had also been used as a symbol of contractual agreement or transaction. I will pay you 40 shillings for two cows, totes, promise, handshake. And the punishment for breaking such a gentleman's agreement could be and was often death. And this isn't the first time death has been linked to a handshake gone wrong. Although historians cannot say the handshake fell out of popularity, its significance in written history and literature faded to almost nothing. That is, until the 17th century CE, when Quakers in the New America viewed the handshake as an alternative to bowing or tipping a hat. A literal, how do you do? That is where the modern idea of shaking hands as a greeting comes from. The Quakers didn't give us much, but they did give us handshakes and oatmeal and pacifism. And actually, fun fact, because of Quakers' belief in equality among all people, Quakers played a pivotal role in women's rights movements of the 17th century. So Quakers are pretty cool. Obviously, those movements failed, but the Quakers were still very much yay women, which was not common back then. A Victorian etiquette manual from the 1800s advised, a gentleman who rudely presses the hand offered him in salutation or too violently shakes it ought to never have an opportunity to repeat his offense. Um, does anyone else think that sounds like they were chopping off hands or even killing you if you denied or gave a bad handshake? Jeebus crepes. Like I mentioned moments ago, death and handshakes have eerily gone hand in hand throughout history. Pun absolutely intended. So let's move on to another gesture that involves touching, but has a beautiful and yet sad backstory, the high five. Now I could have guessed the celebratory hand slap which is the younger and better looking brother of the low five, had its origins in sports. But I never would have guessed in a billion lifetimes the history of the high five came with a hero story that was almost lost to history because of homophobia. In 1977, during a major league baseball game between the LA Dodgers and the Houston Astros, the widely accepted origin story of the high five was born. Dusty Baker, outfielder for the Dodgers, smacks his 30th home run of the 77 season. He was one of four Dodgers who hit 30 homers in a season that year, and they were the first ever major league team to do so. On deck was Dodgers teammate Glenn Burke, who raised his whole arm in celebration as Baker crossed home plate, and Baker responded by raising his arm and slapping Burke's hand. Dodgers reporter Lyle Spencer said, it was such a moment. It was the energy of it. And it was just this explosion of emotion. And that should be the end of it. The high five is sealed in history as a celebratory gesture in sports and everywhere else. But the story of Glenn Burke doesn't start or end there. Burke was a rookie for the Dodgers in the 77 season and was the only rookie to start in the World Series that year as the Dodgers played the Yankees and lost a hard-fought battle four games to two. 
Burke's baseball career was all too short-lived as he was traded to the Oakland Athletics in 1978 and then quickly demoted to the minor leagues after a knee injury. What makes Burke's career so impactful, despite efforts to leave it in the shadows, was that Glenn Burke was the first ever openly gay baseball player in the major leagues. The key word there is openly, as I'm sure baseball players and athletes alike were afraid to come out to a world that still today isn't accepting of people's sexuality. For some stupid reason, one's personal choice in romantic partners affects how hard you can hit balls. Another absolutely intended pun. It is widely believed, though never explicitly said, that Burke was traded and ultimately demoted because of his sexuality. Burke alleges that the Dodgers general manager at the time, Al Capanis, I don't care if I'm saying his name right, tried to bribe Burke into marrying a woman. When Burke declined, he was swiftly traded to the Oakland A's, where he claims both players and fans of Oakland weren't shy about their homophobia. And let me be clear, I have to use words like alleges and claims because there is no hard proof of these things. It's only hearsay. But I 1000% believe Burke. I believe the Dodgers manager was a creep who tried to force a sham marriage. And I believe the people of Oakland in the late 70s were not so welcoming of an openly gay athlete. And not just in Oakland, all over the U.S. and the world. So while the high five continued on in Major League Baseball and gained popularity among the rest of professional sports, Burke's own popularity amongst baseball players and fans had been crushed. But Burke didn't let this stop him. He continued to pursue his love of the game in the San Francisco Bay Area, playing in the Gay Games, which is literally a fabulous version of the Olympics, where he competed in track and basketball. When Burke was traded to the A's in 1978, the gay community took notice and quickly elevated Burke to icon status. For a long time, the high five was a symbol of defiance and gay pride in San Francisco. I'll give the homophobes who haven't left already a chance to exit the proverbial building. Okay, good. Burke died of complications from AIDS in 1995 at the too young age of 42. And his story was essentially lost to the history books. But his family and friends continued to tell the story, even if the media chose to ignore it. But finally, his story gained new traction. And the legend of Glenn Burke was recently honored in the summer of 2022, when his old team, the Dodgers, honored Burke's legacy on their ninth annual Pride Night. The pregame ceremony had more than 40 members of Burke's family in attendance, and they stood on the field draped in rainbow colors and accepted the honor of their beloved Glenn, something their family never questioned. And that is the beautiful and yet tragic story of Glenn Burke and the invention of the high five. I'm going to include links in the show notes for anyone needing help with their own identity, as well as links to some LGBTQIA charities. Take care of yourselves, humans. Next, we'll move on to the gesture that started out as having a man's life in the balance 
and grew into a corny dad in white New Balance's display of a lawn well mode. That's right, folks, we're talking about the thumbs up. In the days of the ancient Roman deadly X games, a thumbs up or down was a literal matter of life or death. After the handsome slave-turned-gladiator defeats his opponent, the crowd cheered with their thumbs extended either up or down. Joaquin Phoenix, or whoever else was Rome's leader at that time, would extend his hand and the direction of the thumb decided whether the gladiator died or lived to fight another day. Or so we thought. Where gladiator movie director Ridley Scott screwed up was the position of the thumb and its meaning. A thumbs up meant the gladiator died. Take your upturned thumb and toss it sort of towards your shoulder. And now imagine telling someone to GTFO. That's where that motion comes from. A thumb turned up was a bad thing. The gladiator, despite beating whatever opponents he was faced with, had not entertained the crowd enough and was now doomed to die. Are you not entertained? Sorry, I had to do it. And in ancient Rome, there wasn't a thumbs down, not at least in the context of deciding a man's fate. Thumbs up meant death, and the thumb concealed under the fingers meant he lives to fight another day. I know, shocking that Hollywood wasn't historically accurate, but that movie is still amazing though. So how did humanity move from the thumbs up meaning life or death to a thumbs up meaning great job, Stevie? The history books are not clear on where the modern meaning comes from, but the thumbs up had a great significance during World War II. American pilots would give a thumbs up to the crew to let them know everything in the cockpit was good to go when they were ready. Well, as ready as a pilot can be fighting in a war, and if you're anything like me, when you think of thumbs up and a fighter pilot, you have an image of 1980s Tom Cruise in your head, sitting in an F-14, giving that iconic thumbs up. Yeah, I know. World War II is not in the 80s. And yes, I know Tom Cruise is a wee bit cuckoo bananas. But the man was still hot and a man in uniform is 100 times hotter. I will die on that hill. Anyway. As countries like America love some pro-war propaganda, the thumbs up was used in papers and posters to symbolize, look how swell the war is going. Totally fine, literally no problems. Send money and medal. And Americans ate it up because, well, they had to. Not because they were stupid or manipulated, because they needed to sleep at night. Everyone knew World War II was absolute hell on earth, and the death tolls rose by thousands every week. But if the local newspaper a picture of a pilot with a thumbs up before takeoff, everything must be fine, right? Right? Look, I get it. Out of sight, out of mind. It's called avoidance, and it's something my therapist and I talk about a lot. During the war, the gesture of the thumbs up spread throughout Europe and South America, and the rest is essentially history. The symbol used by brave pilots fighting a literal axis of evil became the everyday man's symbol of, great, 
Job well done. All good. That is a mighty fine looking Kentucky bluegrass you got there. Now, a thumbs up isn't a symbol of hunky doriness all over the world. In places like Iran and Greece, for example, the thumbs up is equivalent to giving someone the middle finger, basically saying F off. And yes, I'm going to end this episode with the history of the middle finger. Don't you worry. Islamic and Asian countries also view the thumbs up as an offense, while in Australia, a motionless thumbs up means all is well, but moving it up and down becomes a gesture of insult. The thumbs up popularity fell off a bit in the 60s when anti-war hippies started flashing their boobs and peace signs all over the place. The thumbs up was just so not cool anymore. But then the fawns came and all was right in the world again. Henry Winkler's portrayal of Arthur Fonzarelli in Happy Days launched the thumbs up back into the stratosphere with his signature grin and a. Sorry, I'm not good at that. Between the Fonz in the 70s and current social media using the thumbs up as a symbol for good or I likes it, the gesture is becoming more universally acceptable as a positive, but still be sure to research local customs when traveling abroad. Now, let's imagine for a quick second that Henry Winkler decided to flash double birds instead of his signature thumbs up. Producers of Happy Days would have shut down the set immediately. The world would have never been gifted the present that is Henry Winkler. And even worse, where would Ron Howard be without Happy Days? Who cares about his time as Richie Cunningham? Ron Howard is one of the greatest directors producers of our time. And without him, we would not have the masterpieces that are American Graffiti, A Beautiful Mind, the many wonderful seasons of Arrested Development, and technically the last scene of Jurassic World where his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, lures the baddest bitch of them all, the T-Rex, out of her paddock to defeat the Indominus Rex in a showdown that rivals the gunfight at the OK Corral. Okay, so the original Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time, and I will stretch so far to include any mention of the franchise into any conversation or podcast copy that I can. Anyway, back to the old middle finger, flipping the bird, the good old F you. How in the world, or rightfully, how in history, did a finger come to universally mean something so offensive? So here it is, the middle finger, the most ancient of insulting gestures is a phallus representation. That's right, folks. The middle finger is the penis and the fingers on either side represent the testicles. The Greeks were out there literally and figuratively offering their male genitalia by showing their middle finger. Offering one's genitalia in such a way was considered a vulgar insult. So the middle finger, my friends, is literally ancient Greek for fuck you. Sorry, kiddos. Sometimes you just have to use the F word. The use of the middle finger as an offense goes back two millennia.
millennia, if not even more. That's how far back the written word goes. The Romans called it digitus impudicus, or the shameless finger. Written folklore of German tribesmen waving their middle fingers at advancing Roman troops dates back to the mid-first century CE. Which, like, come on. Of course the Germans flipped the bird at incoming soldiers. That checks out. And I'm of German heritage, so I can say that. Even further back, circa 419 BCE, a character in a comedy written by playwright Aristophanes gestures with his middle finger and immediately following his crotch. So, I don't want to hear about how pure and chaste the olden days were. People throughout history have been just as foul and vulgar as they are today. And I, for one, am here for it. Middle fingers to the crotch all around. Anthropologist Dr. Desmond Morris says the middle finger likely came to the U.S. with Italian immigrants in the late 1800s. Now, I have no Italian background that I know of, so I don't know if that's a disappointing or prideful news for modern-day Italian-Americans. You tell me. The first photograph of someone flashing the bird was in 1886, when an unnamed baseball player for the Boston Bean Eaters showed his middle finger in a joint photo taken with the New York Giants. So some dude back in the 1880s was peeved that he had to share a team photo with their rivals, and he displayed his disgust with the phallus symbol of fuckoffery. I never would have guessed that baseball had such a powerful and recurring presence in the history of hand gestures. But I guess it's true what they say. You literally learn something new every day. And I hope you learned something new today or at the very least were mildly entertained by me telling these stories. But that's it for episode two. That's all I got. I have so many fun topics on deck. I hope you stick around. Um, again, I released two episodes for the launch, but going forward, each Wednesday we'll have one new episode. For now, at least, we'll we'll see how this crazy little thing called podcasting goes. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I have been overwhelmed by all the support that I've already been given. This journey is only just the beginning. And we'll see you next week, humans, when we try to find out if the saying is true. Laughter is the best medicine. Now, go be weird, humans. This episode of Weird Humanity was written researched by me, Amanda Reinhardt. Sources used for each episode can be found in the show notes. Be sure to like, subscribe, review, and give us all the stars wherever you listen. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Weird Humanity Pod and join the Facebook group Weird Humanity Podcast. Send your show ideas, letters of praise, or advertising inquiries to weirdhumanitypod at gmail.com.